We are entering into Sabbath School quarter number three, and our quarterly lesson study for the next three months is entitled Making Friends for God. And it's all about witnessing and sharing the love of God as given to us in Jesus Christ. I'm super excited that we get to talk about this subject for the next several months in Sabbath school class. This is the first, and I'm privileged to be able to spend a little time with you making comments on this week's Sabbath school lesson. The idea is to whet your appetite, to inspire you, to provoke some thoughts, to get you you know, ready for studying the Sabbath school lesson this coming Sabbath. If you're a Sabbath school teacher, if you're a Sabbath school attendee, you're a Seventh-day Adventist church member, whoever you are, you're all welcome to come and enjoy a Sabbath school Bible study at any Seventh-day Adventist church this coming Sabbath. It's where we get together, share our understanding, share our knowledge of what the scriptures say on different topics, on different subjects. And so for the next three months, we'll all be studying together the Word of God and what it has to say about witnessing or shining our light for Jesus Christ and for the Word of God and for the truth of His Word. And once again, this quarter's lesson is entitled, Making Friends for God. And lesson number one that we're talking about right now, or this week, this Sabbath, is called Why Witness? Why Witness? Now, Sunday's lesson is entitled specifically Providing Opportunities for Salvation. So what the lesson does is it all follows this question, Why Witness? And each day's lesson is an answer to that, why we should witness. And Sunday's reason, or what it addresses and engages with in Sunday's lesson, is that we should witness Christ-following believers, Bible-believing Christians should witness because it provides opportunities for people to be saved. In other words, God has ordained that we should partner with Him in His work of saving human beings. Now, of course, saving people is God's job. It's not our job. The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Okay, I don't have the power to save anyone. You don't have the power to save anyone. We can't command the Holy Spirit to work in someone's life a heart change or a mind change or to give them a new experience, a new life in God where they're free from guilt and pain and shame and death. We can't do that. We're natural. We're subject. We're fallen ourselves. But God in Christ has reconciled the world to himself and God has offered the Holy Spirit to the world. And God has ordained that his church is the body of Christ on earth. And therefore, God is providing people opportunity to be saved through the work of his church. So we as believers should let our light shine. We should speak Jesus, share Jesus, proclaim Jesus and the truthfulness of his word and the salvation that's found in him because God has ordained it to be so. Us witnessing 
provides opportunities for people to be saved. Now, uh, the lesson brings out a really cool point, and I think it's really interesting to consider this. And that is, look, at the beginning of Sunday's lesson, it says that God provides opportunities daily for people everywhere to know Him. He moves upon their hearts through His Holy Spirit. This is true. Jesus said it in John 16 and verse 8, that the Holy Spirit, will, when He comes, will convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and that He would be sent to the world, to everyone. So the Spirit of God is speaking to people's consciences all around the world, and He's trying to convince them about sin and about righteousness, about judgment, leading them to Himself, bringing them into everlasting life. Further to this, it talks about how He reveals Himself in the beauty and complexity of the natural world. The vastness, order, and symmetry of the universe speak of an infinite God with limitless wisdom and infinite power. He arranges circumstances and providences in our lives to draw us to himself. That's awesome. God is speaking to people through nature, through their consciences, through circumstances that he arranges for them in their lives. He's he's working to bring them into a knowledge of himself and into eternal life or the life that lasts forever or the life that's characterized by eternal principles, the principles of love, God's love, the principles of God's law. And so, yes, God's working through all these various agencies, but the lesson brings out so poignantly the clearest revelation of his love and of his saving grace is through the person of Jesus Christ, through the ministry of Jesus his incarnation, his perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and now his intercessory work on behalf of the human race. When we share Jesus, the lesson brings out, we provide them, we provide people with the best opportunity to be saved. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, the Bible says that Jesus, basically it's the story of a little short man named Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus, he was desirous to see Jesus who he was. He had obviously heard of this man, this teacher, this preacher, this one who many believed was the Messiah, was the Christ, was the Savior. And so he wanted to see Jesus. He was a sinful man. He was a tax collector, which means he decided as a Jew to collect taxes from Jews for the sake of the Romans. And so in a way, he was a betrayer of his own people He was a compromiser. He sold himself for money and for power and for position. And so he's a sinner. He's guilty. He's lived a life that he's a bit ashamed of. And he wants to see Jesus, who he is. And so Jesus is passing by his town. And the Bible says that Zacchaeus climbs up in a tree because he's a short guy. And we don't know how short he was, but he was so short that when he was standing in a crowd, and Jesus was walking by, he'd have no chance to see him. And so he was pretty short. And he climbs up into, the Bible says, a sycamore tree as Jesus passes by. And interestingly, Jesus walks up to that tree and looks up at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, come down, because today I'm going to your house. Which is quite interesting because it would be unusual in the mind of a Jew for the Savior for the Messiah to go 
to the house of a tax collector because what is the Messiah going to have to do? You know, the Savior of Israel, what is he going to have to do with a person? What does he want to do with a person who's betraying Israel itself to the Romans and taking Israelites' money and giving it to the Romans? Jesus goes over to Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus, because he's repentant and he's truly, genuinely sorry for the things that he's done in his life, and he's overwhelmed with gratitude because the Savior has chosen to come and abide with him, he says, Lord, if I've ever taken anything from anyone unfairly, I'll give it back times four. And Jesus says, oh, today salvation has come to this house. For you also are a son of Abraham. And then he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. So Jesus came to save lost people. That's why he came. He came to save the lost, to seek and to save that which was lost. In James, the Bible points out in verses 19 and 20 that when you turn a person from sin, you've saved a life. So Jesus came to save people's lives and to grant them eternal life, to free them from sin, to free them from death. And when we do this alongside of Jesus, in partnership with Jesus, when we serve as God's agents, as a part of his team, as we work together with him to seek and to save the lost, we turn people from death. Now this brings a very, very sobering truth close and near to us. It's, it's heavy. It's big. God wants to use us to save people eternally. This is big. This is wild. This is unbelievable. You and I can serve God to help people come to know Him and live forever. So why witness? Well, we provide people opportunity to be saved. Why would a, it's like this. Um, why firefight to save people from fire? Why be a firefighter? Well, to save people and buildings and property from fire. And so God has commissioned us to be partners with him in firefighting and saving people from fire, from destruction, from what results from sin. And although this is a very weighty truth, we should feel privileged that God would call us to be his witnesses, to be his light. And he says, don't hide your light under a bushel. He has ordained that we would be the lights of the world, that we would be his ambassadors. And he wants to save people through our ministry, through our efforts, through our witness. It's what he has decided. We are his body. We are his hands. We are his feet. His spirit is at work in the world, but also in us. And he wants to work in us to proclaim the truth and to bring people to truth. And as he works externally through nature and through people's consciences, he's also working internally through his Holy Spirit in others. And then he's working in us to speak truth and to proclaim truth and to bring people to truth and to call people to him and to repentance. And this is all God's plan. It's all what he ordains. And although that, that, that truth, that reality might be intimidating, 
what we can do is we can just say amen because we don't believe in the power of ourselves. We believe in the power of God. And if God has chosen us to be his witnesses, well, then he will work through us and accomplish the work that he can accomplish. You know, Peter, one time, while he was on a boat with his friends in Matthew chapter, it's either 14 or 15. I'm a little bit confused, but I, but it's, it's around Matthew chapter 14. I should check. I'm just, this came to my mind. But he and the other disciples, it's the, it's the night after Jesus feeds the 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. And Peter and the disciples are out in the lake on a boat and the wind is contrary and they're having a hard time navigating their way across the lake. Jesus is on the top of a mountain. He's praying alone and he can see them. He sees what's happening and he comes down the mountain. And you know, it's interesting because the, the turmoil that they're facing on, on the lake the, the trouble, the difficulty, that's metaphoric for what's happening inside of them. Because when Jesus did this great miracle, the crowd wanted to make him the king. They, they, in verse 15 of John 6, it says they, they tried to take him by force and make him king. And to them, that was the goal. That was the point. He refuses to become the king of Israel. And they're like, what? They're confused. They're, you know, just bewildered. And then Jesus says, get on the boat and go out to sea. And they're out to sea and they're struggling in the wind. Well, that struggle in the wind was just a metaphor. Really, it was an external expression of what was happening in their hearts and in their minds. They're just confused and they're all, you know, conflicted. Just like the waves in the water is being conflicted by the sea, by the wind. And Jesus sees it. He sees what's happening from on high, from on the top of the hill. And so he comes down. He needs to do something to show them his power, to show them. That he knows what he's doing and, he, and, he, and, he, and he's got everything under control. And so, while they're out in the middle of the lake, Jesus decides that he's going to walk on the water. And he walks on the water. And, and he strolls out onto the sea, up to the disciples in the boat, and they see him. And because they don't, you know, they can't comprehend of a physical flesh and blood man walking on water, they think that he's a spirit. And, and they're just freaked out, they're frightened. And Jesus says, hey guys, don't be afraid. It's me. And then Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me that I can come out on the water to you. And so he does. Come, come. And Peter gets out and he walks on water. Now, Peter does not have the physical ability to walk on water. But when Jesus says, when Jesus commands, when Jesus ordains that he can walk on water, if he in faith accepts that and chooses to believe that and obey that command of Jesus, then he can do it. As Ellen White says, all of God's biddings are enablings. If God ordains Peter to walk on water and commands him to walk on water, if Peter submissively, humbly obeys and keeps his eyes focused on Jesus, guess what he can do? He can walk on water. And so we see the Bible teaches that we are commissioned by Jesus to go, therefore, and teach all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He tells us to take responsibility for the work of soul winning and evangelism and, and to go do it, to go be what Jesus was. Go seek and save the lost. And we say, well, I can't walk on water. I can't do this. This is heavy. This is too much for me. I'm a fallen sinner myself. And Jesus just says, well, do you believe? 
not just in me, that I can walk on water, that I can do great things, but do you believe in what I can do through you? It's awesome. And so we can't walk on water, but we can when Jesus says so. We can't win anyone, but we can when Jesus says so. And this is what Sunday's lesson brings out. Let's all say amen. Let's all say yes. God says so. And because God said so, we can do so. All right. Monday's lesson talks about how much God cares for the lost. In Luke chapter 15, you have the parable of the prodigal son. You have the story of the lost coin. You have the story of the lost sheep. All of these combine together to communicate the unimaginable love of God. All the love, all the you know, passion that we have for our children, for our brothers, for our sisters, for our friends, for our husbands, for our wives. All of that love is a mere reflection of the love of God. We were made in God's image and God is love. We, through the family circle, experience different forms of love, different kinds of love. Brotherly love, right? Uh, paternal love, filial love, just different elements of love, different aspects of love. It's because we were made in the image of God and God is love and he, he, he created the race in two different sexes, male and female, that can combine together unselfishly and join in union to produce children and have families and life that build societies. And in God's perfect plan, human beings, they proliferate and with them proliferates love. And love brings forth life. And life is good, and life is sacred, and life is wonderful. God is love, and, 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 and that's why he, he, he built us the way that He did, so that we can experience love. And all the love we experience is just a mere reflection of the infinite love of God. God loves everyone. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, if I love God then I'm going to consider how he feels. Jesus gave everything for the lost. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 1 and verse 6 that in Jesus, God has given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Or in other words, God gave everything there was to give when he gave his son. Now, if you want to know how much a person loves another person, well, just ask how much they're willing to give. You know, you, yeah, that, that's, it's a really good metric. It's a really good measure. So how much do you think your car is worth or your house is worth or, you know, whatever you purchase is worth? Well, something is worth to you what you're willing to pay for it. Now, how, how much are human beings worth to God? We, we Bible-believing Christians who accept all that Scripture has to say do not believe in what's called the limited atonement. That is to say, God only provided salvation for those who would eventually choose salvation. We believe in unlimited atonement. That is to say that God paid a ransom for all because God is not willing for any to perish. And God loves the world. And God is our Father. And fathers try to save all of their children, not just some. Because that's what love does. That's what love is. And so the fact of the matter is God loves everyone. Everyone everyone. And because God loves everyone and we love God, we should care about everyone's salvation. 
Now, we know everyone's not going to be saved, and, and we practically know that we need to, 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 to like Jesus, uh, seek those who can be saved and not cast our pearls before swine, right? Like practically in the work of soul winning and evangelism, you've got to sometimes make decisions, and I'm going to put my efforts here and not there because we want to win who, win who we can win. But at the same time, God loves everyone. God paid a ransom for everyone. God has reconciled the world to himself. We don't believe in a limited atonement. We believe in an, in, in a, in an atonement that was provided for all, an unlimited atonement. Even though everyone's not going to be saved, God paid a ransom for all. That's what he does. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 6 says this. Now, going back to my original point, if we love God, then we will consider how he feels. And how does he feel about the human race? Well, he feels so strongly about the human race. Every fallen son and daughter of Adam, he loves them so much that there is nothing he wouldn't give for them. You go to the shops and you want to purchase something. And you want to purchase it because you want it. It's something you want to possess it. You want to own it. Rarely will you go to the store and find something that you want so much, that you want so badly, that you will give, okay, you will give all the money you have for it, without question. You, 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 I, I, I doubt that you have ever been in the position where you've gone to the shops and you've wanted something so bad that you would pay every single cent that you had for that thing. Further to this, I doubt that you have ever gone to the shops and found something that you wanted so bad, that you loved so much, that you would want to not just give all of the money that you had, but you'd want to give uh, yourself for that thing. So to say that you would indenture yourself as a servant or as a slave for the rest of your life just so that you could have that thing. Further to this, I don't think that you've ever found something in the shops that you wanted so badly, that you loved so much, that you would actually lay your life down for, uh, your eternal life, right? All of this Jesus did for the human race, for everyone, for every single person. And so when we walk around in the shops or down the street or in our neighborhood, every single time we look at someone's face, we should remember that we're looking at someone who to God is worth everything he has, indenturing himself as a servant to the human race forever throughout all eternity and paying his own eternal soul for, like on the cross where Jesus thought, I'm giving up everything. There's no return from this. This is, what, this is my fate for them. Now, if I love God, I'm going to care about how he feels. And if he feels that way about people, then I should care about people enough to try to care for them and witness to them too, right? This is a powerful thought. So why should we witness? Well, Sunday's lesson says, well, because God has ordained that we're a part of his plan of salvation to reach out to the lost. And then Monday's lesson talks about, well, because think about God and, and his love. Now, there was a girl, and I'm just going to kind of end here. And I know I'm only on Monday's lesson, and this lesson is so good, guys. It's so good. I want to keep talking about it and sharing thoughts. But I want you to continue to listen to this podcast week after week. And so I don't want to go too long. And so I'm only going to talk for a little bit longer, maybe another, another five minutes or so. But there was a girl. She was a teenager, and she was annoying to me. And I knew her about ah, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. My wife loved her because my wife is sweet. Now, I didn't dislike her or show her external dislike, 
But man, she was just such an insecure kid. And the way that she handled her insecurity was so annoying. She was the kind of person who creates, she, she compounds her own insecurity by the way that she acts when she's insecure. So she intentionally provokes people and is annoying and is just, anyways, whatever. I don't want to describe it too much, but this girl was quirky, awkward, weird, always saying weird things, always being antisocial. And I know it was just insecurity and I had compassion on her to a degree, but I didn't see her the way I should see her. And my, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she just loved this girl. And for some reason, God just gave my wife his perspective on this young girl. And he just saw her the way that she should be seen as a candidate for the kingdom of heaven, as a daughter of God, as someone who is so invaluable to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords that he would give everything for her. Now, over time, because of my wife's disposition towards this girl, the more that my disposition began to change and I began to value her and appreciate her and to see the good in her and to see what could become of her and to not just see her as she was, but to see her as she could be. So the more I spent time looking at my wife and observing how my wife related to this girl and felt about this girl, the more I began to feel the way that my mom felt about this girl. The more we look at Jesus, the more we look at God, the more we read his word and consider his disposition towards the lost, the more we begin to feel the way he feels, the more we begin to want what he wants for them and to see them as he sees them. Amen. Let's not just see people as they are. Let's see them as they can be because that's what God sees. That's the faith of Jesus. Is It's not just seeing as things are. It's seeing as things can be in accordance with God's word. It's believing that what God's word says is and acting in accordance with that fact. That's true, faithful obedience to God that brings eternal life. All right. Now, Tuesday's lesson talks about how when we give, we grow. So we should witness because it's a blessing to us, okay? So the feeding of the 5,000, there's just a limited amount of bread and a limited amount of fish, but you give it to Jesus, he divides it, he gives it back to you, you go give it to others, and then it keeps multiplying. The widow of Zarephath, she gives to the prophet her, her oil and her uh, meal, and it keeps multiplying. And so you want more? faith, you want more love, you want more joy in your experience, well, give the love, give the faith, give the joy of God to other people in sacrificial witnessing. It's a basic principle of the gospel. You sacrifice yourself to give and you get more. So the basic principle of Christianity is you lay down your life to get. You don't try to get. If he that seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for Jesus' sake and the gospels will find it. Well, what makes you have to lose your life more than anything? Witnessing, sharing, evangelism. And, and, and I say this because, because Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Okay, so what did Jesus come to do? We read it, Luke 19 and verse 10, seek and save that which was lost. And Jesus says in John 12, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. Or in other words, the way that you save people is you die for them. Jesus had to die to save people, and we have to die to ourselves to save people. My mom cared for the mentally and physically handicapped her whole life. Well, since I was a little boy, and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. 
because to have mentally and physically handicapped children in my home my whole life, it, it changed my perspective. It shaped my perspective of value and, and what matters and, and what's good and what's bad and who's strong and who's weak and, you know, who deserves to live and what's, what, what makes a life valuable. It, it just shaped all of my views about humanity. And, and she, she pour herself in, herself into these mentally and physically handicapped people. These people who couldn't move their bodies. These people who were deformed in grotesque ways. These people whose minds were not fully functional. She'd take them to the beach and she'd take them to Disney World and she'd take them to all these places. And I think, why are you taking these drooling people who poop all over themselves and who can't move? You're thinking this from the standpoint of a seven-year-old boy. Why are you doing this to give them a better life? And especially when it takes so much sacrifice and time on your part. She had to sacrifice her time with us. She had to to sacrifice our lives. So we had to come and participate with her in caring for the mentally and the physically handicapped. But I'll tell you what, the, the way that that enriched me, the way that that blessed me, the way that that uplifted my heart and my mind as a young man, as a young boy, and the, the richness that it brought to my life to be able to care for the needy and for the fallen and for the crippled and for the deformed, it was awesome. And I can say, I thank God that there are people who sacrifice their lives to care for the mentally and the physically handicapped. Now see that as a, as a, as a metaphor. We're all mentally and physically handicapped on a moral, spiritual level. And those without the life and light of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit who aren't surrendering to the law and the love of God are like those mentally and physically handicapped people. Not directly or specifically, but to, to a degree. You're getting, it's just an analogy. It's just a metaphor. And we have to sacrifice our lives. We have to arrange our calendars, our, rearrange our schedules, change our priorities, do a little less of the things that we want to do for the sake of others. Well, guess what? That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. And if we want to become more like Jesus, then let's live like Jesus. The Bible says in 1 John 2 and verse 6, he that says he abides in him ought also himself walk as he walked. A walk of self-denial, self-sacrifice and service to others, which means you reprioritize your life. You reschedule your week for the sake of someone else. We don't follow Jesus because we want to go to heaven and get like bliss forever, like for selfish reasons. We follow Jesus because we love who he is, the kind of person that he is. We love who God is, the kind of person that God is. And we repent in, in the knowledge of who we really are and our birth condition and how grotesque and sick that is and how we want to live a life of love like Jesus. And we want to become the kind of person that Jesus was. And witnessing helps us to do that. We sacrifice ourselves and we receive much more. We receive more happiness, more joy, more of the good things of life, more of the really good things of life. And our character is refined and ennobled and we become more like the Jesus that we're following. It's the work that Jesus has assigned us. It's the cross-training regiment that Jesus has assigned to us so that we can become more and more like him. There's so much more that can be said and I know will be said this coming Sabbath as you guys study the Sabbath School quarterly lesson, it's been a huge pleasure for me to spend a little bit of time chatting to everyone out there around the traps. I hope that the things that I've shared have been an encouragement to you, that you can take them and apply them to your lives, that they've challenged you, that they've uplifted you to a degree, that you know, down in your mind where logic works, you've thought, ah, that makes sense. 
down in your mind where you have all, all the scripture stored, you, you've been able to say, that's true, that's biblical, that's why I'm sharing with you. I want to get you excited. I want Sabbath School to be a vibrant, powerful, spirit-filled discussion this week where we not only see Jesus, but we apply him to our lives and the truths of his word. God bless you guys. Uh, thank you for listening. I will look forward to seeing you next time. I have the privilege of commenting on this North New South Wales Conference Evangelism Sabbath School Department project called the Sabbath School uh, Quarterly Commentary. God bless you, my friends. We will see you soon. Have a fantastic uh, week and a fantastic Sabbath. God bless. Bye-bye.